Before we get into the show, here's a quick message from MR Insurance, a small business that helps physicians with their disability insurance needs. Michael Rielvas is a CFP professional and insurance agent committed to helping physicians nationwide with their term life and disability insurance needs. He makes an objective, transparent, and education-focused process that aims to help physicians make prudent decisions and avoid overcomplicating things. He exclusively offers own occupation disability insurance policies for residents, fellows, and attending physicians, and who does not need that? Everybody needs that. Michael has your best interest at heart when it comes to disability insurance. We know he'd be happy to help you address your needs. You can find Michael at drpodcastnetwork.com slash mrinsurance or contact him at Welcome to the Medical Liability Minute, where we talk for more than a minute, and we're joined today with our general counsel, Mike Sakopoulos. Hi, Mike. Hi. Thanks for having me. And today we're going to address a case. We call it Ripped from the Headlines. This is a case that actually made the news, may not be the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, or television, but it certainly made the medical uh, legal news. And I'm going to start with the punchline. I hate starting with the punchline, but here I know I can use it to grab attention. So how did this end? And then we'll back up and go to the beginning. This is a case that turned into a $30 million judgment for the patient now deceased. Let me repeat that. $30 million judgment for the patient. Now, remember, most doctors carry limits of about $1 million per case. So um, this this is definitely what I would call a conundrum. What do you think, Mike? And then I'll tell everyone about the case. Not, not a good scenario in the judgment where the, the decimal moves to the right on you. This is a tremendous amount of money, obviously. Hmm, interesting use of math there. Okay. <laughs> All right, so what happened? Here you had a patient that was shot in the back by a 38 caliber bullet during, I guess this is a euphemism, an altercation. Anyway, the bullet perforated the patient's left kidney, the abdominal aorta, and small intestine before lodging in the right lobe of the liver. I can certainly say that that was a bad day. He was taken to the hospital by ambulance during the drive. Uh, to the hospital, EMS communicated, stating they were bringing a level one trauma patient in. So a trauma team was assembled in the trauma bay to begin the care. Um, the the one the doctor who ultimately became the defendant in this case uh, was nowhere to be found, at least not initially. <clears throat> he had been paged, but when he called back, he said he was in surgery and he recommended call someone else. The 
this on-call surgeon, what was he doing? He was busy performing an elective hernia surgery. And when he finished that procedure, he started another scheduled non-emergency elective hernia operation. So you can already see there are some challenges uh, right here. But let me just keep going, and then we'll go into the details of what could have been done differently. So the staff attempted to find another surgeon for the care. They couldn't do it. They paged the uh, the surgeon again and said he was needed for uh, <laughs> for the surgery. At that point, he was in the middle of another operation, and they just said he just said find another surgeon. He can't be in two places at one time, and that's true. You can't be in two places at one time. Anyway, based on the concern that there was blood in the chest cavity, a thoracic surgeon was located for an emergency thoracotomy. Uh, two hours later, they again tried to get the um, this trauma surgeon um, into the um, either into the operating room, I, I guess, in the operating room because the ER doctor believed an emergency laparotomy was needed. They thought there was blood in the belly. And um, so what did he say? He said the patient should be transferred to University of Alabama Hospital. That would be an academic center, as his injuries were too severe to be treated at the current hospital. Um, ultimately, the patient died. There was a heated exchange. I guess I'd call that altercation number two taking place between the ER physician and the trauma surgeon when when the trauma surgeon eventually appeared in the emergency room. Anyway, the patient died. His estate argued that he likely would have survived his gunshot wound had the trauma surgeon did little more than show up. The defendant, in this case the trauma surgeon, said that was ridiculous, that the patient would have died regardless. But again, remember, this patient was still alive at two hours when he showed up. Um, lots to debrief here. Mike, why don't you start with some initial comments? There's much to say. And I think the first place to start is, if you're on call, what are your duties? And number two, what are the expectations related to someone being on trauma call, not just on call, but on trauma call for a hospital as it relates to your privileges at the hospital, as it relates to you potentially being paid to take call by the hospital. Lots of issues here to think about before we get into the $30 million stratosphere. Sure, lots to, to unpack. And perhaps one of the issues has to do with payment for, for call coverage. Um, the surgeon had scheduled other other procedures and was working away. So uh, by his or her estimate was it was unavailable. Um, that seems to me to be a, a prioritization uh, problem, which may well have been exacerbated or, or triggered in part by the failure to compensate for trauma call. If you want the surgeon ready to go with scalpel in hand at, at a moment's notice, then it seems to me the appropriate uh, to pay for that availability. Otherwise, the uh, surgeon in this uh, situation was trying to uh, make a living for him or herself by doing other patients. Nonetheless, when when you've accepted trauma call, it seems to me that you have an obligation to be able to perform duties of trauma call, which is show up in the OR and, and do, do the case uh, on an emergency uh, basis. I think in this particular case, 
that which added insult to injury was, yes, he was in the middle of the operating room when they called the first time. And, and candidly, they could have um, just told EMS, we really are not available right now. Can you take the patient to another level one facility? In this case, it sounds like University of Alabama may not have been too far away. So it may have solved the general problem because they likely would have had additional people there. But when he moved from one elective case, said he was unavailable, and then the patient was there and then started a second elective case, I think that was the the cherry on top of the Sunday in terms of, you know. Awfully hard to justify, right? That you don't go and at least check in on the other uh, situation knowing it exists, but to um, to move right into case number two without any kind of consultation on into the trauma unit. Um, is, I mean, there are many options. I think that if you are on call uh, for trauma and you're in the middle of the operating room, the question, instead of just telling the, the, the nurses, just find someone else and make it their problem, I think what he possibly could have or should have done would be to have someone from his staff take ownership of that and try and find someone else. Normally you can find someone, normally you can find someone, but I don't think there are going to be a lot of empathetic individuals if they see you're in the middle of elective cases and you're asking them to step into here a gunshot wound. So it's almost certain that they will not be paid for any, for any procedure that is performed. Um, high risk, you can only imagine that um, whoever takes care of this patient is signing up for a great deal of work, assuming the patient lives over the next, who knows how many days, but certainly many days. So it's not a very nice gift to hand off to someone else when you're comfortably sitting in the operating room doing elective hernia cases. What do you think? Yeah, not, not a way to, um, to win friends, is it? Uh, but look, my experience has been most physicians will step up if, if put into that that box and you're right that there would have been potentially someone to uh, to take the case if not knowing the time constraints it would have been better to to ship the patient on earlier rather than than later right uh, completely if you shuttle the patient to another institution there's a pretty good probability the patient would have been properly taken care of and may have even been in an institution that was more focused on dealing with trauma patients. We don't know the answer to that because the details in this case are lacking, but it's certainly not an uncommon scenario to send the patient to an academic center where they are staffed by residents and they just more often than not have figured out how to manage staffing problems. I think the bigger challenge um, is, or, or the bigger concern here was that when the doctor did show up um, to the emergency room, it was uh, too late. It was uh, a day late and a dollar short. And then the ER physician uh, was understandably pissed off. And I think they started a fight, in the a verbal fight in the emergency room. And many people certainly saw that. And I can't imagine this did not um, bode well for the defendant trauma surgeon. A circular firing squad, if you will. Absolutely. I think it also undermines confidence in in others that are present to see staff openly at war over patient uh, care. 
but you're right. What this does is the, the fight spills out of the, the ER and into the, the courtroom eventually, right? Because the, the ER physician uh, quite upset and we know who's going to be uh, thrown under the bus on this one. I can't tell whether the ER physician was also sued. I cannot tell whether the uh, thoracic surgeon was also sued, but you can only imagine that if a doctor doesn't show up, everybody gets named in the suit. Now they may get led off as some, as time goes on. We call that the proverbial shotgun suit, where if your name is on the chart, you are joining the circus uh, in the litigation. And only after you've been deposed or after you've, your testicles have been squeezed for a period of time, and by the way, that that applies to all all types of surgeons, <laughs> ovaries too. Um, then uh, then maybe you'll be let out. But well, I there's think... a reason why they do that, right? I mean, if you're from the plaintiff's point of view, you name everyone. What what are you hoping for? Uh, well, you're going to take a deposition, and in this case, you're pretty likely to get some some good testimony for your uh, for your client or for the estate, uh, blaming the, uh, the the trauma. A surgeon, and you're going to get that without having to pay expert witness fees of five hundred, eight hundred, twelve hundred dollars an hour. So there is a real temptation on the behalf of plaintiffs' attorneys to name everyone in hopes that finger pointing begins, and then you have uh, testimony at a far less expense and arguably higher quality testimony because people are not motivated by money, they're not brought in as specific experts, and they have firsthand knowledge. It's a it's a happy scenario for the plaintiff's counsel when this happens. And here they're just memorializing that conversation, in this case a fight that took place in the emergency room when the defendant trauma surgeon showed up, just asking him, well, what happened? Did you have words? Why were you having words? Did you try to get in touch with this doctor earlier? What did he tell you? He was doing a what? An elective case? What is an elective case? Is it something that can wait? Um, is an elective case like a hernia orphy? Is that something that um, will create a, a problem? Will that patient have a problem if you wait? Um, is it more important than a person with a gunshot wound uh, in the liver? What do you think, doctor? I mean, you know the answer to all these questions. The plaintiff attorney knows the answer to all these questions, but you're seeing it play out in near real time. Well, they're just describing the conversation, in quotation marks, conversation they had in the emergency room with everybody watching, and there are plenty of witnesses and just reliving it. I'm surprised this actually went to court. I'm surprised that it didn't <clears throat> settle beforehand. It seems as if the key determinant was the trauma surgeon arguing that, yes, he was delayed and he showed up late, <clears throat> but had he shown up earlier, had he shown up two hours earlier, the outcome would have been unchanged. It would not have changed whether the patient lived or died. And truth be told, this patient did have serious injuries. If we go back through the laundry list of, of injuries, we're looking at um, a bullet going uh, through the kidney, going through the abdominal aorta, going through the small intestine, and ending up in the right lobe of the liver. That is a tough injury to survive, but this patient apparently was still alive around two hours after showing up. Doesn't mean that would have been the ultimate outcome. 
But I can assure you that they were able to persuade a jury that the patient likely would have lived. Well, and some of this may be a message to the surgeon that didn't show up, right? This um, arguing that it wouldn't have made any difference can be taken by a jury as an indication of someone not learning a lesson. And how do we know that this problem won't just happen again? We need to get this person's attention and say that it was serious and that they should have been in that room. And to not admit to any type of an error and to say it wouldn't matter what I did, um, all decent defenses, but not something that is going to play well with the jury when there's a, uh, a, a dead body and somebody making uh, money on elective cases down the hall. I think it may have been a poor uh, strategy from the defense, which uh, increased mm -hmm. the size of the, the jury verdict. Before we end, don't forget to reach out to MR Insurance Consultants, where their goal is to assist physicians in obtaining the most comprehensive coverage available to fit their unique situations. Reach out for both excellent and quality service at drpodcastnetwork.com slash mrinsurance. And with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at 1-877-MED-JUST. That's 1-877-MED-JUST or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of medical justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N, Epson Frank O News at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, if you're not an existing member of medical or dental justice, but want to bulletproof your practice from medical legal threats, our admin, Wendy Cates, is your best resource for information about our protection plans, implementation best practices, and pricing models. Wendy can be reached directly at 336 358 5587. We offer discounts for large groups and protect doctors of all specialties in all states. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility, which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.